This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 475 for September 23rd, 2015. We're sponsored this week by Red Hat. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm senior contributor Glenn Fleischman. And as you know, the Macworld, well, Apple just stands still. Nothing happens from week to week. It's this kind of terrible, I don't know, like a sargasso sea full of old equipment. And oh, wait, I've woken (laughs) from that terrible dream. Uh, As usual, (laughs) there's so much to talk about. And we have a schedule out until November of product releases of phones and El Capitan, Apple TV, the iPad Pro. And by then, I'm sure Apple will think of something new. Joining me this week, as always, is the executive editor of Macworld, Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Hello, Glenn. Nice to be with you again. Nothing to talk about, as usual. Yep. We'll just... (laughs) Say Simpsons quotes for a while and sign off. Well, also joining this week, very excited to have Lisa Schmeiser with us. Hello, Lisa. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Lisa, you may know, in the past was a uh, stalwart at InfoWorld. She is uh, writing the Generations column for Macworld about kids and computing and intergenerational stuff. She also writes the So What? Who Cares? newsletter, one of my favorite things that drops in my inbox, in which she tells us things that are... Um, fascinating that we otherwise would not know about, and has also recently became the editor-in-chief of Windows Supersite. So especially exciting to have you on the Mac World podcast, Lisa. Thank you. Uh, especially given that, you know, Microsoft goes up during <laughs> Apple product demos and says, hey, look how great Office 365. Hey, I'm the CEO of Microsoft and I'm using an iPhone. It's not really the same kind of uh, conflict adversarial thing as it used to be. Well, it's a multi-platform world. Um, I'd be willing to bet that some people listen to this platform probably have. This podcast probably have like Android phones or Android tablets they like to. No. No. Well, we love, nah. we love our Windows and Android <laughs> colleagues. It's, uh, this is, uh, you know, the biggest, the funniest and biggest complaint I have about Apple these days is they don't support other platforms that well. And it's, you know, as much as they want to control their ecosystem, it's like even mm-hmm. airport utility. Would you please, please release an updated version of airport yeah. utility for Windows. I mean, come on. Or for an Android version. I mean, it won't take yeah. that much effort. Well, well, we're not here to talk necessarily about that this week. We've got some news up front, and Elise is joining us to talk about uh, sort of kids and technology, which is a big topic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all have kids on this podcast, and we all have thoughts about this. So uh, Lisa's going to share some of that with us. And um, mm-hmm. before we get started, we're going to talk about some of the news just to keep everybody up to date, because I know that... Uh, uh, no, Apple doesn't get coverage in mainstream media, so you haven't heard of any of this, of course. I'm not that's, familiar with their work. <laughs> never heard of Apple? Is that the music company that Beatle... Oh, never mind. Uh, well, so WatchOS 2 is out, Susie, after some delays. And has it changed... Have, a, were you able to install it? That is a... Uh, <laughs> Kind of a big issue. Yeah, I was. I was able to install it. So Watch OS 2 was originally uh, going to drop with iOS 9, which came out last Wednesday. And then on Wednesday, they said it was delayed. And that was fine. I didn't have my charger with me. Excuse me. Um, I should have been faithfully carrying my charger with me every day because you actually need your charger to update your watch. And nobody I know carries that thing around because the watch is really good about lasting all the, day. You take the reason it off you need the night. charger is because it takes like 400 hours to update. It would run out of a charge by the time it was done. Yeah, <laughs> it took a while. I mean, I just kind of plugged it in at night and said, okay, charge, and went to sleep. So I don't know how long it took. I heard a lot of you know anecdotal stories that it, it took a really long time. You had to try a couple times. You know, it was hard to to get through right away, the download took forever, all the kinds of stories you hear about people upgrading their OSs on the first day. Um, But I didn't hear, you know, like my watch was bricked or anything. My update went just fine. And yeah, so I've been playing around with um, putting photos on my watch face instead of, you know, a watch face. That's been kind of cool. I'm eager to start updating my apps and looking for third-party complications because complications are my favorite way to interact with my watch. Like I just mash something on the screen and then up comes the app I want. I don't have to go to that weird home screen with all the tiny bubbles. I don't have to talk to my watch like I'm some weirdo. So yeah, complications all the way. So that's what I'm most excited about in watchOS 2. Yeah, it's been interesting watching uh, after iOS 9 shipped, watching all the updates sort of uh, spool out because in previous, I want to say with previous updates, Apple set up a more... uh, 
be an orderly process. I think with iOS 8, there were, you know, hundreds or thousands of updates of key apps ready within a few days. And iOS 9, I'm just kind of watching them trickle in because you didn't need to make uh, massive uh, changes, but you can take advantage of things as an iOS 9 developer. And I feel like watchOS 2 is the same thing. Like, if you're not ready day one, day one is awesome because you get the coverage. If you're not ready day one, which was, you know, now is now day negative four, I guess, <laughs> then, uh, or whatever it is, um, you still get the advantage. But uh, for, if people are using your apps, they just suddenly like, hey, this is different now. Um, so I think we'll see a lot trickling out more so than in previous years. Yeah, I'm going on a big trip leaving later this week, so I'm really excited to update all my watch apps and try to use it as much as I can while I'm traveling because I've heard a lot of people talk about how their watch really changed their game while they were traveling. They don't want to keep digging their phone out for the little snippets of information you need, like where am I going next and how do I get to my back to my hotel and what you know when is my flight leaving and all that stuff. So, but I haven't taken any trips since I got my watch. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to testing this out with new native apps and um, maybe take it golfing and see if I can uh, use some of those sensor sensor apps that'll analyze my my crappy golf swing. It's gonna be good times. Oh yeah, you won't be you won't be uh, in an area with a lot of public transit. I understand, but uh, that's one of the key. I mean, it's funny when flagship feature is transit directions, but it's really. I mean. That is I'll be totally taking it useful. through New York. Oh, you will? Okay. Because, I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the things. I use Google Maps, and I don't use Maps, Maps, Apple Maps, uh, for this. But Google Maps, my primary use of it, I think, is transit directions. Like, I use it yeah. around town. It's good at and that. And so forth. Oh, I mean, I've go, I go to cities, and I think, of, I think about what it was like to travel before I had ubiquitous access to uh, just, you know, which bus? When does it come? Where does it go? Is it running late? It's, uh, it's astonishing what you can do. So I can Lemonated navigate Lemonade maps and a lot of waiting around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking to people. Yeah. Uh, Excuse what? me, no. sir. Like, which bus is the, yeah. My favorite story is I was, I was in the London Underground and a guy comes up to me and says, Excuse me, do you know where the station is for the Knightsbridge? And I was like, Knightsbridge, Knightsbridge. Oh, well, I'm a tourist, but you go down that way. Knightsbridge. <laughs> I thought it was in a Monty Python sketch for a minute, but he was just Dutch. Uh, yeah, you were so blending in. He thought you lived there. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. What ho? That's like the greatest compliment you can get in another city is when someone asks you for directions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's watchOS 2 out, and uh, we still stand by our recommendation last week to install iOS 9. It was not a disaster from anyone, from what I can tell. Um, a few reports. I think some people had – oh, actually, no, I did hear some reports of uh, people having a bricked but earlier model. I think iPhone 5 maybe. Yeah. Finance. One of our reporters, his mom bricked her iPhone 5. She didn't back up. And they had to go and – you have to go into a store it. or something, right? You can't do a restore <laughs> So there were yeah. some more extreme things. Well, I mean, things. like, she went to the store because she was worried about, like, you know, if I restore it, I'm going to lose all my photos. And they were like, well, yeah, <laughs> if you if it doesn't work and you, you need to restore it, and if you restore it, you will lose all your photos. So you can either have a brick with your photos trapped inside or you can have a working phone with no photos. Right. So that's well, too bad. I mean, you got to back up. But it, it's a sad story. To go forward, you must back up is some company's motto, or it should be if it's not. Uh, that's really that's like the zen of tech that's right there was a travel agency <laughs> right the, the town I, I grew up in had a travel agency called away travel and their slogan was when you go go away and i thought that's not so good, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you thought that went out that's uh, my personal slogan. when you go go away oh i'm just my. imagining the don't go away mad travel agency where they use the motley Cruz song don't go away mad just go away yeah <laughs> It's, uh, you know, look good. I miss travel agents. That was such a great job. Um, Mm -hmm. Speaking of travel, iPhone, this is my segue, iPhone 6S and 6S Plus are flying. (laughs) Traveling to the next topic. Flying (laughs) across the ocean from China in large quantities. From Shenzhen, they are coming from Shenzhen to, well, I'm sorry, if you're in Pope land, though, if you're in the land that the Pope's coming to, you may not get your, uh, your iPhone on time, apparently. Uh, Philadelphia. Oh, you hear about this? Delays. No. Expected delays are in delivery. Are they in purgatory? What happened? The, the, phones, <laughs> the phones are being held up in purgatory so they can shrive their souls before. Uh, no, the Pope's that visit. That's an is odd per- segue even for you. Claire. The Pope, you did not hear about. This is a true, this is a true story. Is Pope delays iPhones. Uh, in Why? A cu- in a couple of markets. Between security and uh, transit stuff. Uh, the city, and then we also have the, uh, you know, the uh, president of China is coming uh, through Seattle, and then he's going to be going east as well. And so uh, we have all these dignitaries coming. So the, the Pope's visit to New York City and Philadelphia is going to snarl traffic. And for security reasons, there'll be a lot more screening. So it may not be possible for same-day 
deliveries of the iPhone in those markets. So some people may not get them on the day that was promised. That's kind of an outrage. <laughs> it's why Tim Cook should get on the phone with the Pope as he does yeah, every day or his and boss. say, "Get his boss on the line and be like, boss. hey, this is unacceptable.' <laughs> this is your board? Of, who is your board of directors? It's not truly a god <laughs> phone. Stock just plummeted. Uh, yeah, Pope Schmoke. Carl, I want Carl my Icahn is writing a mean letter to God. Uh, the, the iPhone uh, six uh, reviews are out today. I didn't uh, success. Um, did we see success plus reviews? I'm trying to think if they they yeah. Seated. But BuzzFeed said that they they uh, reviewed the Success Plus. And if you want to see uh, some excellent work, there's a, a YouTube uh, celebrity. Uh, someone posted this, and I thought it was actually a joke. It was Apple gives iPhone, it'll shoot 4K video, gives it to so-and-so, whose name I didn't recognize, and it shows them going down to Times Square where they have the um, uh, Desnueras, the uh, like half-naked uh, women that have caused all this controversy in Times Square where they pose with tourists dressed in body paint. Yes. Um, it's very exciting, I'm sure. So I thought this was a joke, and I thought someone, I'm like, oh, someone's uh, getting, uh, you know, hitching their star to the iPhone release, and of course they get an iPhone. Like, no, he's a YouTube celebrity. And that is, in fact, what he did is he went down and walked around with half naked women with, uh, in 4K on the iPhone. So there's that. Oh. That was, that was one of his. Uh, the 4K he's did look great. Nice stat. Not yes. familiar with his work. I don't know his work, but he's apparently one of the uh, YouTube he's celebrities. Got cool so Apple hair. Yeah, Apple seated the phone out with in some show notes. Uh, interesting people. Uh, you know, so they didn't do um, – uh, we didn't get one at Macworld. And some of the familiar places, I would say, also didn't get one. But as an incremental year, it's interesting because uh, like Chris, our friend Christina Bonington at uh, Refinery 129? 129? 29. Refinery 29. I'll get it right eventually. Uh, she uh, ha- coincidentally had a vacation to Hawaii, so was able to take some fantastic photos. For that, you know, the Wall Street Journal – and so forth, but also, uh, gosh, what was it? A major league uh, baseball photographer was out shooting video and uh, photos with it this last week, and um, so it'll be sort of pushing live photos as one of the flagship features. So, just as we were beginning this podcast, I posted a review roundup that Caitlin did, kind of, uh, you know, aggregating a few of them. So look for that on MacWorld, and then we'll have our review up pretty soon. Jason's yeah. getting a phone on Thursday. So like one day early, thanks Apple. Um, so he's gonna <laughs> try to post something this, on Thursday, like my first, you know, couple hours with it, and then we'll follow up with the full review once we can get that done. Would that be, be Jason vacation, Snell, so. a columnist for the Windows Super Site? That Jason Snell, yes, Windows <laughs> Super Site columnist Jason. It's Snell. all one big tech ecosystem. Oh, wait, really. all, yeah. also <laughs> they're all friends. Exactly, it's true. Yeah, it's all connected behind the scenes. Uh, it's like how the good wrestlers and the bad wrestlers, like they still hang out. <laughs> you know, well, because you never know when you might need to make a heel turn. Right. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> Turns out Jason's a mole. And he's going to take down God, Windows. He's writing for Linux World now. <laughs> oh, no. Ubuntu is the Can next desktop. Ma- Everyone will be Can using it next year. Can you imagine if Jerry Lawler called Apple events? Oh, my God. Yes, that would be amazing. It would be. You know, my God, my God, that's Tim Cook's entrance music. <laughs> they could just do it in Madison Square Garden. They did it at, uh, you know, the Gram. They could do it at the Madison Square Garden. Uh, so, oh, so the iPhone, uh, it's coming out. Um, uh, so the reviews, I mean, what's the summary of reviews, Susie? This is an S year. and uh, yeah, what Everybody it, what likes it so far. I haven't read a ton of them yet, but um, yeah, uh, uh, TechCrunch said that they were being contrarian by saying that it's not just a talk, it's like a tick. It's so good. So, <laughs> I mean, they were basically saying everything that Apple says about it, but but that was contrarian because we th- they thought that we thought that they would say, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's an S-year upgrade. They're saying it's better than a regular S-year upgrade. And I've, you know, I got to play with live photos. They're pretty cool. It's like, yeah, okay, it's it's a little GIF made out of your picture, but you never get to shoot your own GIFs with a camera. Like just pointing and shooting and having a GIF of something is is really neat. Um, and then the, the 3D touch is also getting a lot of praise. I've always because liked- it's, it's really good at just knowing like what your intention is. You almost never do the wrong thing. Um, it does take a little bit of getting used to. Like I was, I was expecting it to act more like Quick Look in your Mac, where so you select a oh. file, you press space bar, the Quick Look window opens, and it stays open. You can move it around, like you can you know look at another window, and it'll stay there. But on your phone screen, I mean, obviously it's a smaller screen. So when you do the peak move and bring up a preview of something, if then you, I, I kept picking up my thumb to try to read it, and it would go away. So you have to kind of learn to, you know, like scoot your thumb down without lifting it up or just, you know, glance at it to see if you want to pop it all the way open. But the peak and the pop, like they'll take a little getting used to. But once you get it down, 
it should speed up a lot of, you know, things that you do with your phone that right now take like a tap and then another tap and then a swipe. Like you'll be able to do it with just, you know, a little press. So that's nice. I've always been a fan of short video and I think live photos is actually um, like uh, it is a little Steve Jobs scene as, as was it didn't Jobs tell David Pogue was that the famous thing is nobody ever looks at their videos that you know he's talking about VHS tapes like mm. you record this stuff you never ever look at it and think of all the people you know the dads growing up with the thing on the recorder and record you know and they're older all the time and all the games they recorded thousands of hours of kids events rather than participate in them and uh, and then it's just they're just sitting there in the basement and I jo- I forget if it, I think it was to Pogue and Job said something about you know we released uh, iDVD I think it was at the time or iMovie I forget just so that people could take and put stuff together into you know something that actually watch and then you could do something with it but I feel like I've always liked taking five second ten second one minute videos because those you actually do sometimes go back and look at and live photos seems like a micro extension of that. Like it's just a, it's a snapshot of time that's also functioned as a high resolution photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. TechCrunch did a good breakdown of how they work. I guess mm-hmm. it's a, it's a 15 frames per second kind of video. So mm. it's only 45 frames. And so those put together with your 12 megapixel image would re- result in a file that's about twice as large so you can turn it off like it's it's on by default, but you don't have to shoot with it if it's filling up your phone um, or, you know, if you just don't think it's that cool. But it is really cool. So like I'll probably shoot on it. My phone will fill up twice as fast and I'll just have to be more diligent about, you know, pulling those those down. Um, if you send them to anyone with an iOS 9 phone, they'll be able to see them. They can't do the the press move or, or on it, but it'll the, the motion will play. And um, it, El, El Capitan also supports it, too. So hopefully it'll be, you know, it won't be like this proprietary Apple thing where, you know, no one else can use it. Like hopefully other other um, devices and services and stuff will start supporting it and we'll be able to share them widely on Facebook and Twitter and stuff because it is kind of neat. I'm looking forward to seeing them and the next time I upgrade, which I don't know when that'll be. <laughs> this is actually one of the first years in a while where there hasn't been a feature that's forced me, even as a reviewer and tech writer, to say, oh, if I don't have, you know, app like last year I got pushed or, no, oh, gosh, it was... Was even last year? Yeah, it was last year. I got pushed to get an iPhone 6 because of Apple Pay. feels like it's been around yeah. forever. I got an Apple Watch because Apple Watch. But the 6S, I don't see anything in it where a lot of the features are are interesting and useful, but they're not ones that either put me over as a consumer or as someone who has to write deeply about the technology. There's not enough there where I need to own it all the time uh, yet, although it seems like another great, great bump. Um, I wanted to clarify something from last week about Apple TV. I was having some correspondence with uh, game developers. I'm, I'm working on game developer response after our conversation last week uh, with Brianna Wu. Uh, and the Apple TV, so here's the thing I discovered. It actually only ships with one kind of remote worldwide. In some places, I thought there were two. In some places, the, they're calling it Siri remote because the Siri function is enabled. In others, they're calling it, uh, what are they going to call it here? The Apple TV remote. So if you're in uh, Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, Spain, United Kingdom, or United States, you will have Siri functionality, and they're calling it Siri remote, but it's the same device. In all other countries, it will not do Siri. It'll do touch-based navigation. And uh, when Siri is available, they can always push updates to those countries, but they're only launching huh. with, I know it's confusing, with eight countries, although the eight you know most populous populous ones who buy Apple products, clearly. So the remote will have the microphone in it and stuff. You just won't be able to do voice search? Ostensibly, it is. See, what they what Apple says in their documentation, this is what was confusing, says the Apple TV remote comes in two flavors, one with Siri built in and the other with on-screen search capabilities. However, uh, from what everyone can determine, it's actually the same device. It's the same hardware, and Siri is simply not enabled in countries in which okay. it's not enabled. So they're not making any promises because Apple hates to promise and not deliver because then they get sued. So they're not promising <laughs> future compatibility, but ostensibly it is exactly the same uh, hardware and it's being offered at the same price, you know, in two adjacent countries with uh, similar currencies, you're paying the same amount of money. So hmm. just to clarify that. Uh, one more thing before we go to the break and then uh, and then talk about kids and technology. Xcode malware. Uh this is a funny one, Susie. I, I, we've we've written yeah. some news stories about it, but it seems like it's still developing a little bit. Yeah. So there was um, 
I guess, you know, it was Apple had to pull a bunch of apps from the App Store because they had some malware in them. And it wasn't the developers submitting the apps that put it there. It was they were using like a cracked version of Xcode, which is Apple's own, you know, suite of developer tools. And Apple wants you to download it from them, obviously, because they make it. And um, but I, I think the problem was you said this. I don't remember where if you said where you saw it, but um, the some Chinese developers were having trouble downloading it from Apple because it's such a big file, and you know China's with their weird lockdown internet. So, so they downloaded this this like counterfeit version of Xcode, and didn't check you know the the, the MD5 signatures to make sure it was everything was legit. Submitted apps; those apps were approved, and it turned out that they had some malware in them. Yeah. So. That's kind of scary, both that developers would, you know, take a shortcut like that and that Apple didn't catch it. But, you know, I guess they caught it now. <laughs> yeah, it's a little – the whole thing is a little bizarre. But, yeah, from what I understand is, uh, well, A, developers in China are constantly working with pirated, pirated software. There's just not the same uh, – there's very little legal enforcement. There's not the same cultural imperative from what I understand from people who uh, are from China, work in China. It's just not the the – there's, this is true. I've read in India as well. India has changed because they've had to comply in order to meet export rules and, you know, and deal with like drug exports and so forth. But um, the United States and uh, Europe gets really head up about intellectual, uh, pro- uh, uh, sorry, intellectual property protection in a way that many other countries, especially in the developing world, that are often the, um, let's say, the victim of <laughs> first world intellectual property ownership that uh, prevents them from getting access to things at a price that's commensurate with the cost in those countries. So you see um, India producing a lot of uh, on-patent drugs without patent protection because it's in the public interest. And in China, there's just not the same – they don't have the same access. There's not always the same concern. So what I've heard, yeah, is A, it's difficult to download the legitimate X code from Apple servers. And then B, people are just used to error warnings like, yeah, this has been whatever, not compromised. But no, it doesn't doesn't uh, do the checksum, doesn't work and whatever. We're, we're just going to go ahead and do it. And so Apple sent out this got email they sent to developers, uh, including me today, that said, hey, uh, <laughs> we, here's, you know, if you download Xcode, you can check whether it's correct by using this very simple thing. Since you're a developer, uh, you should get this, uh, you know, response. And if it doesn't, then don't, don't use it. But it included apps like WeChat, which are uh, like hundreds of millions of people use some of the apps that were affected. One was, I think WeChat was only out in a version with the malware in it for like two days. Uh, and Apple obviously will now add checks for the kinds of behavior that were incorporated. And maybe we'll view certain kinds of apps with more scrutiny, but um, uh, it wasn't a compromise of the app store or of Xcode. It was more like a social engineering feat because taking advantage of the fact that people do download software that they don't know where it came from to develop software. I don't think it, I don't feel like it's a, you know, the, like it's, it's a big deal at one level. Another level, it's like, ah, it's part of a whole kind of broken ecosystem. But because of, uh, there's, there's a software company that, um, it cracked me up. Last night they put out this thing. It said, well, you know, they make, uh, you know, malware checking software for mobile. They're like, well, our software can't do this on Apple. It's a terrible shame that our apps can't check what other apps are installed and our apps can't see what other apps are doing. I'm like, that is what malware does. The reason you can't install anti-malware software in iOS is that malware would take advantage of the same vectors, guys. But Oh, well. Uh, so malware. So don't, you know, t- check and make sure that all your software is up to date. And Apple's been pulling dozens and dozens of pieces of software, which will get revised and re-uploaded extensively. Uh, let's take a quick break before we go into kids and technology to thank this week's sponsor, Red Hat. So at this point, everyone understands that in the right situations, open source software is important technology. It's useful and powerful. No one really disagrees with that. I mean, the most successful open source project of all time is a little thing called the internet. Tim Berners-Lee put the World Wide Web in the public domain. Then, of course, there's Berkeley, Unix, TCP, IP, BSD, Linux, Android, the Internet of Things, you get the picture. The only real disagreement is whether open source can be used in an enterprise situation for enterprises to do their most important work. Well, Red Hat's been settling this debate one customer at a time for over a decade. They started with Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Today, they certify and support application development, storage, and cloud infrastructure for every conceivable enterprise deployment. The New York Stock Exchange, DreamWorks, each and every airline, healthcare company, and telecom giant in the Fortune Global 500, 
they all rely on Red Hat. In fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 are Red Hat customers. Why is that? Well, it's because they get the powerful, constantly improving innovation of open source without the risk of having to do it alone. It's just that simple. Red Hat, enterprise software trusted in the world's most demanding data centers. And you can find out what they can do for yours at redhat.com. And thank you to Red Hat for being this week's sponsor. So, Lisa, you have a child, yes. as I understand it. Uh, actually, I funny, do, yes. <laughs> funny story is I was friends with both you and your husband on uh, Facebook before I ever met you in person because we all have mutual mm -hmm. friends. And uh, one day I'm like, oh, Phil has a, a new baby. That's so exciting. Oh, Lisa has a new baby. That's so exciting. And then I realized I had that stereoscopic thing as like two images merge into one. I'm like, it's the same. Oh, they're married. That's the same baby. <laughs> they have the same baby. Oh, my gosh. It was pretty funny because I met you both through, well, Phil through Macworld. You know, and you baby through, sharing. Uh, it's yeah. the new. The incomparable. The, new, the baby uh, sharing like, economy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like Uber, but for babies. <laughs> Airbnb. Baby. So you, you, you have a home sample uh, size of one and uh, to test on. I have, two, I have an eight-year-old and 11-year-old, so I have double your sample size. So obviously I can produce more data. And Susie, you have one that you just sent off to daycare. Yeah. Yeah. Last week, it was first week in uh, preschool and he got his first ear infection. Oh, so, hooray. Knocking down those milestones. One That's traditional. <laughs> oh, poor kid. Well, I, mine we was still a... haven't gotten to the first time when I drive him out to the woods and leave him there. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Well, that'll well, come in a couple then, weeks. That's really moving. Repay the favor Go with home, the ice blows. Go home, watch AI. <laughs> I went up last boy. night uh, hurling uh, into the evening, so that's why I'm a little, yeah. uh, I'm very white this morning with my voice because of uh, lack of sleep. But so, Lisa, uh, you know, you're you're particularly interested in this topic. You're you're a researcher. Mm -hmm. The way you look at the world, I think you always like mm -hmm. to know not just why. You know, you don't look at something and say, "Well, that's very interesting." But your newsletter, so what? Mm -hmm. Who cares? Uh, is kind of a deep exploration of that topic. Is like so when. You approach this issue of like how kids should interact with technology. It's not like, well, I'll give them a computer or whatever. I feel like you you try to figure out what works best and why it does. How, how do you approach this with having a you know a young child in the house and being you and your husband both being technology people? How do you yeah. approach the, her relationship with technology? That's a great question. Um, I feel like I should add here, and Susie's my editor, so she'll be happy to hear this. I just interviewed like ten different people on. Um, kids and technology, namely how to get them started online with an online presence mm. and then and then how to help them develop the skills to navigate the internet more or less than their own when they're teenagers too. And um, so kind of, so I guess the approach to technology was I was always trying to look a couple years ahead. And when we had uh, Trixie, and here I am dropping her name, <laughs> one of but no, well, that was that's actually something that yeah. um, a couple of friends and I talked about is do you use your children's name online? Um, do you publish pictures of your children? If so, where do you post them? Um, so with kids and technology, there are two separate issues at play. One is how you establish your child's presence through your own use of technology. And the second issue is how you teach them to interact with technology on their own. And um, in the case of the former... It, it's it's so age dependent and so situational that that there's just kind of I guess general guidelines sort of you know age by age by age, and everyone I talked to said that one of the best things you can do is start off by always talking to your child, even your small child, with "Can I post this picture of you on Facebook so my friends can see?" or "Would you like to see pictures of your friends?" and um, things like that. But when it came to introducing our daughter to tech, we pretty much tried to stick to the, the general, you know, half an hour a day of screen time max. There are days when we blow past that limit, like if we're on a car trip someplace um, and we just need her to, to hang in for 90 more minutes, you know, we'll, we'll throw back the iPad and look, here's Peppa Pig go wild. <laughs> but we also make a point that where some days she just doesn't see a screen at all and she doesn't miss it. That's good. When we were, when my kids were tiny, the, uh, was the American Academy of Pediatrics, I think it's AAP, they had yeah. released guidelines, and I forget how earlier before that about, it wasn't about, it was sort of about all screen time, I think they're including computers, yeah. and um, we got away with uh, when our older was uh, under six months, he never looked at the screen, so we could watch TV when he wasn't, we'd keep him facing away, and then yeah. one fateful day, he started looking at the glow, and we're like, okay, that's it, we can't watch it, <laughs> like, and that, that is the TV drought that we've been in since, uh, where, we've, where we have enforced that limit because well, we didn't TV, want to be well, yeah when she was a newborn we i i was 
you know, crazy out of my mind with sleep deprivation anyway, but we generally had a rule that if the baby was not sleeping, if the baby was awake or alert or nursing or crabbing or whatever, no TV on the TV only mm-hmm. went on when she was asleep and could look at it. And for like the first three weeks of her life, I was catching up on sense of anarchy. And I'm like, I have to watch this on close. <laughs> I have to watch this on closed captions so that like all the cussing doesn't sink into her tiny plastic. Oh, little no. <laughs> but um, what's funny about it now is she has the expectation that television is something that she can watch on demand where she can say, I want to watch an episode of this. And we go and we load it from iTunes or Netflix or whatever. And we were in a hotel on a trip uh, this past March oh. and we, tur- well, yeah. And we turned on the, and she turned on the, we turned on the TV for her in the morning while you know, we were taking turns getting showered and it was like PBS kids. So it's like wholesome stuff, mind you. And I think, like Cherry's George came on and Trick says impatient, like, Oh, I don't want to watch this. Let's put on an episode of, 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 of Princess Sophia the first instead. And we were like, TV doesn't work that way. And she's oh like, my God. what do you mean? It doesn't work that way. And turned it off again. You know, she's like, ran yeah, into that too. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. He's like, can I choose? And I'm like, no, but then they get excited. We're in a hotel and they're like, wait a minute, there's SpongeBob is on and we can't choose which episode. He found SpongeBob. He thought the commercials were fascinating. Like the commercials would come on, he'd be like, oh, he'd be like, where, where the show, where the show? And I'm like, oh, this is a commercial. He's like, another show. And I'm like, well, and so they were showing him commercials for different shows. Oh, so he would see a commercial for a different cartoon and be like, okay, let's watch that. And I'm like, well, you're still watching SpongeBob. They just kind of stopped SpongeBob to tell you about this other cartoon, and then they're going to show you SpongeBob again. And he thought that was so weird. And I'm like, yeah, that is kind of weird. Well, did, did you guys grow up in a household in which the and I, I know this is not criticism my parents my dad might even listen to this uh, but he, but you know this is just the thing of the day is I uh, we had the TV it wasn't on all the time but it was on a lot of the time we turned it on we wouldn't leave it on uh, some households I know they kind of just left the TV on as background all the time we would turn it on intentionally but then we just you know I could sit in front of the TV for six hours and watch uh, Gilligan's Island reruns and MASH and and whatever did you grow up in households uh, you two that, that that was the case or was, was there some kind of attitude about uh, television time Oh, I can't comprehend that at all. <laughs> so, no, I should have. My mother um, had a rule where my brother and I each had half an hour of TV a day, and we could either pull those together wow. and watch a one-hour show together. Wow. Or we or we could read for extra time. So if you wanted to watch a one-hour show that your sibling didn't want to watch, then you had to read an extra 30 minutes, and then you could watch your one-hour show. And um, A woman ahead of her of the, time. And yeah. one of the yeah, and one of the reasons she did this is my brother wasn't much of a reader growing up. Like he didn't yeah. care for reading until he was about in high school and discovered, um, oh god, the Margaret Weiss Tracy Hickman series Dragon something, um, Dragon Lance, I think. Um, anyway, the point is my brother wasn't much of a reader, and this was my mom's way to keep him from you know watching TV all day. And the upshot was, of course, that my brother did put in like his half hour of reading or hour of reading if he really wanted to watch his cartoons, and I would just read and. And then, like, through high school and literally up until, like, the last year of college, I was the annoying person with the kill your television bumper sticker on my college dorm room. <laughs> like, I missed out on television, I think, from 1979 to 1994. <laughs> and then we were at an editorial board meeting for my college newspaper, and the editor-in-chief called a halt to the meeting, like, mid-debate and said, 90210 is on. And I'm like, you Philistines! But we... The show came on and all of a sudden I'm like, what have I been missing? That was a really good show. <laughs> it was. And yeah. it was like the first year they were in college and it was just lunacy. <laughs> and, now, how, and now how many Great. articles since 1994 have you written about television? Uh, th- I know. that's the, And th- this is the lesson growing up to parents out there now is if you restrict your child's pop culture consumption, they will grow up fascinated by it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I had a friend and turn into their who, ancillary career. <laughs> I had a friend who uh, didn't watch TV growing up. His family didn't let him watch it. And he was fascinating. He was he was like, we looked at him like an anthropologist. He was a good friend of mine. We looked at him like an anthropology experiment because he wasn't socialized by television. His socialization was all through other people. And it was it was almost bizarre, even in the arty-farty high school I went to. Yeah, my best friend, um, her one of her catchphrases was, I don't get that channel because she lived out in the county and they didn't have cable. <laughs> and when cable finally came out to the county, like the, the cable installer like trampled some of her mom's flowers and her mom was like, never, we're never getting cable. <laughs> so everyone at high school would talk about like this or that show and she only got like three channels so she didn't watch much TV because there's just nothing on. Her parents were always watching the news or whatever. So yeah, she would just be like, I don't get that channel. And that was her little catchphrase. Well, are there no social, are there no uh, um, like cultural touch points? I mean, we're talking about 
got small, all of our children are 11 or under and yours are, are, are both below uh, eight. You are separate people. Also, you have separate children. You're not three people with one child. You're two, sorry. <laughs> Four people, two couples, one child each. And well, I've got that two. Airbnb thing we have. Yeah. <laughs> we, we could swap. Oh, yeah, rent, a ba- yeah. rent a baby. It's a great service. Uh, but yeah, so, but with, uh, are there cultural touch points even for toddlers? I mean, some shows like, uh, was it Octonaut, Octagon, Octonauts? Octonauts. Yeah, just that watching that like, this morning. My children were just slightly too old for that. Yeah, there are, there are shows that I hear about only because Strix has brought them home. Because she and her friends will regard them as friends for imaginary play. And, um, and well, this is the thing. is She knew all about Frozen before we bought it in, off oh, iTunes. Yeah. And she had everything nailed down because the girls would play it and they would take mm-hmm. turns. And they do that with their other TV shows, too. So there's a whole lot of shows she's fluent in that she actually hasn't watched. But for her and her friends, they're no. For her and That's her friends, awesome. are like the little, they're the little characters, and they're in their play along, and um, it's it's a much more proactive and interactive way of dealing with TV, and I really like that. Um, I was like, wow, it's almost like it's like watching live action Tumblr almost. <laughs> yeah, we watch a lot yeah. of stuff like on YouTube. We'll watch little clips. Um, I mean, Sesame Street's YouTube channel is amazing. So, and and then you don't get sucked into a whole episode, but then sometimes, you know, you wind up on a Cookie Monster binge that lasts longer than an episode would. But yeah, it's weird how TV isn't really TV anymore and that all the screens will show the same stuff, but they're not all the same. Like, yeah. so he gets some iPad time, but, you know, sometimes he picks a TV show and sometimes he picks a book and sometimes he picks, you know, a Tokoboka app and we'll oh, start God, styling we've given like, so much cartoon money to Tokoboka. Yeah, we have like all the Tokoboka. The hair is a big one that pets the, the, pet, the pets. The pets, I love the pets, yeah. yeah. Um, um, we give Trixie a lot of 1980s rock videos, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, and she, and if you are like, provided you're not getting into like the artsy David Bowie and several women type of videos, um, there's a lot of really surprisingly family friendly videos from the 1980s where you've got music, and then next thing you know, we're having a dance party in a room of the house. Um, the sledgehammer video is our favorite. Oh. All the time. girls just want to have fun is huge okay, right I'm now. As is as is Karma Chameleon, oh. and um, Stevie Nicks Stand Back. <laughs> Because we all start twirling to see who can twirl the most with any Stevie Nicks video, and um, and and I like that because I guess what I find interesting about us in screen time is for her it's really intensely social. Like this is not a kid who ever wants to watch TV or a movie by herself. We just don't have the type of person who want who you know we can sit her in front of the TV and go do something. It's mommy, daddy, come watch us with me and talk about it with me, and we'll pause it and or we'll dance along or something like that, and. I'm happy that right now she's an interactive and a critical consumer as opposed to somebody who does just, you know, can sit down in front of a TV and zone out for a couple of hours. Cause, uh, that's where, that's where I, I, I think, um, I want one of our parental goals is to have somebody who's always questioning and engaging in the world around her. And mm-hmm. my hope is that if we can give her the sense that she has the power to turn the button on and off and engage in technology in a critical way, then she'll keep doing that and not just be a really passive consumer. Yeah, that's an excellent. That's like a, a mission statement that I can I can get behind. No, but it's true, you know. So my kids, I was sitting around the other day. I was like, "Gosh, it's terrible." This is, and you'll you'll both start laughing. Thinking, it's terrible. We don't have Saturday morning cartoons anymore. I used to watch the previews before they do those like launches, and then you'd have all yeah. these you know terrible cheap animated shows. Then you had that era where you had uh, the great ones like the new Batman animated series and Men in Black and Earthworm Jim. There's a stretch of like the almost the golden age of modern. You know, there was great golden ages, but where the animation was good and it was clever and it was uh, Bullwinkle-like, like for adults and kids and whatever. And I'm like, ah, it's a shame. My kids are like, can we watch another Stampy video? And I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. So YouTube <laughs> has replaced. So my kids are desperate. Mm-hmm. They're Minecraft addicts and uh, we have to um, it's like, well, it's not crack addicts, they're like crack the rock addicts or something like pick addicts. Um, we have to limit that time because I think they would literally play Minecraft every minute of the day if they're given access to. But the thing, we resisted for a long time because we'd heard it was so addictive. But then once they sort of convinced us, they actually almost wrote a proposal uh, based on time they'd spent researching it. They got some books. It was actually Mm -hmm. really, they've also wrote us a great essay about why they need typewriters, like mechanical typewriters. And I love this, that they're, 
using you know compelling speech to do it. But in the end, Minecraft is very creative, and it is you build, you world build, and you learn some actually fairly useful computer skills. It's it's a form of programming at some level because you have to carry out sequences. You know, it's algorithms right, yeah. that you carry mm -hmm. out. But Stamp, so Stampy is one of these insanely popular um, hosts. And uh, originally, my understanding is he didn't know that kids would like his stuff. And so the, apparently the first 40 episodes he shot, uh, which are just him walking through building worlds and walking through and doing competitions, are full of swearing. He's, there's a re-edited version of all those. And now they are kid-friendly. The worst thing he says is bloody. He's English. And um, they, you know, they're like, they know exactly the schedule when he produces videos. They ask for time. They'll do stuff like, look, if we get all our jobs done, we'll get our homework done, we'll get our teeth flossed but then we can can we have the, you know 30 and we're like yeah absolutely if this is what's motivating you totally cool and they're bite-sized but this is the new these new productions often very low production value or you know recorded in a video game is what they do and i think i think it's sort of great uh, does that come up yet with the kids at your ages are you seeing yes yeah so what do they want and, and how do you what do they watch and how do you well so youtube is crazy because there's so much stuff on there and it's it's wild to see like what he'll get into like he and my husband got really into watching um dominoes videos on youtube there are people who are like professional dominoes people and set up these insanely complex dominoes thing knock them over and they could watch that forever they watch um, they watch NASCAR and stuff on YouTube. Like my husband is really into sports. He's never cared about racing, but my son got obsessed with Lightning McQueen and he wanted to watch some racing. And they have like entire IndyCar races on YouTube with no commercials. So sometimes if he's in a bad mood and like he needs to fall asleep, but he doesn't want to fall asleep, like we'll put on, you know, some IndyCar and just like the like droney kind of noise just knocks him right out. Um, but you remember I, when I was a kid, if I'd asked my mom something that she didn't know, she would say, well, like, go look it up in the encyclopedias mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and YouTube is kind of the encyclopedia now. Like he'll ask me something like, how is like this made or like, you know, what, what's with this? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, let's go look it up. And like a lot of the times we look it up on YouTube. Or like, I get, we'll can you out. ask Siri that? I get that a lot. Can yeah. you ask, can you ask Siri? But yeah, YouTube is an encyclopedia for us. Trixie's obsessed with, uh, Gene Kelly. Oh, no, no, that's not Jane Kelly. I'm sorry. Oh. No, I'm sorry. Not Jane Kelly. Fred Astaire. I'm sorry. Also She's obsessed wonderful. with Fred Astaire. And so we actually spend a lot of time on YouTube watching Fred Astaire clips or watching the Marx Brothers, whom she also loves, or bizarrely enough, watching German soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the same thing. Yes. On the same thing. Yes. But, you it's know, this, crazy what they get into. And it's or, like if I just, you know, like let him watch whatever's on PBS, like he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't find some of these things. I don't know if watching IndyCar on YouTube is really like, in, you know, enhancing his world or not, but... But it, everything is on there. Well, I'm watching oh, well, the know, We watch animals of, a lot, too. Oh, oh, yep. Well, yeah. Yeah. Animals hunting each other. Or animals <laughs> just be... It, um, there's this fantastic National Geographic clip of Australian saltwater crocodiles eating cameras where you just kind of oh see the, the mouth of the camera, the mouth of the, the crocodile crunching down the camera at you. And you're like, ah! And that's fascinating. So okay, we'll stop do everything, that. Okay, stop everything you're doing right now and Google mm -hmm. all listeners the sound baby rhinos make and watch that. I guarantee <laughs> you'll be laughing yeah. so hard you will cry. Yeah. All the show notes are just going to be YouTube. <laughs> baby yeah. chicks, baby rhinos. Yeah. You would never believe it. Uh, well, I'm interested in the feedback the loop too because you were talking about this earlier, Lisa, that it's like the interactive part. is like the kids watching – uh, there are you know a number of very famous Minecraft video makers that the kids watch it both for entertainment, but then they're like, oh, how did he do that thing with redstone? Oh, I want a diamond whatever. He made the crafting table. Oh, and it opens up their vistas. For me, it's almost like mm -hmm. a programming class. You're like, but but fun. It's like, uh, or uh, my friend Jeff Carlson, a frequent Minecraft contributor, he just went to this great sort of sharpening your saw weekend photo uh, conference where there were no lectures. It was all photographers kind of talking about their work and their approach. And it's, um, it's this, you know, we're not going to teach you how to do stuff. We're going to help you fit in. I feel like his brain was all opened up. And I feel like some of this is much more like that. It's much more on the education without it feeling pedagogical, but it absolutely is side. And that I kind of, I kind of, I don't want my kids to always have to be learning, but I also, they can have fun too. But I like when the stuff they're compelled by is also stuff that, that prickles their brain. Yeah, I mean, the to be honest, the big tech worry I have is not so much with the screen time because there's enough, there are enough either built-in controls or behavioral controls where we can help her maintain age appropriateness. Like for me, the actual concern is is making sure that we're doing right by her on social media. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and that's something I've been giving more thought to because now that I'm Facebook friends with like her preschool friends' parents, 
and teachers and things like that, it turns into a big, um, there, there are all of these, these, and this is actually something in, in like two pieces I literally have due for Susie and are half open on my desktop. Um, <laughs> it turns into, um, you know, questions of privacy, like, what do I do or what do I say if some, if, if like a well-meaning parent is posting pictures of their child and my child and they haven't talked to me first about it's, it yeah, mm-hmm. and I get tagged in it or, um, there was another one where again, this is somebody I like and it was on Facebook. Like they posted a get together where like, we were like the only ones not invited. <laughs> and so you're like, Oh, there's that whole, well, I'm sure. And you're like, I'm sure it's not personal, but what if, and, and you know, and there's just all of these, these touchy things. And I thought, wow, she's really going to grow up in a world where the, like, let's put it this way in the seventies or eighties or even early nineties. Like if my parents hadn't been invited to hang with, you know, their, their usual crew, I would not have known about it. My, and, and their kids certainly would have not brought it up. That is not the world that my daughter is growing up in. Um, where if she's on Facebook or even if she's like looking over my shoulder and she sees a feed where like three of her friends are in a park and she wasn't invited along, there are going to be like questions I have to answer now that I didn't. And so this is, you know, it's, it's, I'm finding that I spend a lot more time now thinking about how to navigate the really porous boundary between Facebook and real life, especially as it affects family life. Yeah. I mean, that's even a problem for, for adults. You can, you end up comparing yourself a lot more and then it's easy to forget that the version of, you know, the version of life people put on social media is, you know, only like the shiny, happy, best stuff. (laughs) And they could all be, you know, yeah, that's that's really tricky because you end up getting a lot of you can have hurt feelings yeah. over something. And you know what I've started doing is asking people if if there are pictures where there's more than one kid, I'll just email them or text them privately. If I'd like to put this up as okay if I put it on Facebook and can I tag you? And then just take my privacy cues from other people and I'm hoping that by acting by example, maybe it like it maybe it's contagious. <laughs> I tend but to tag everything. Friends now, friends or friends of friends at worst. Yeah. So if I post something, I try to. I, I'm actually in the same boat as I have. I used to have more compunction about posting pictures of my kids, and less mm-hmm. so as they've gotten older. And I feel like, yeah. uh, but but the other part is, uh, it's also I think as you figure out what your kids about, you know, you, you identify those pain points as a parent. Like, you know, one of my children used to have trouble zipping a zipper, and I'd be like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. No one should make fun of you. However, you will be made fun of, and it's the easiest thing in the world to not have become your establishing characteristic and be bullied about. Bullying is bad, yes, but you can also take your, you know, you can take steps to avoid becoming an easily avoidable victim when you know what kids will target. So like if someone bullies you for having your zipper down, then they're the ones who need to get in trouble, but you can also, there's no reason to not do it, right? So I have a little bit of that, like as I've gotten to know my kids and know how sensitive they are about certain things, I've thought, okay, well, you know, my older one is never, no, if someone saw a picture of him on Facebook, well, they have A, that kid has all kinds of dorky pictures of himself too. And B, they're just never, he's not going to care. And I know he won't care because I've seen the circumstances. Um, but, but I, but I've also, I default now everything I post on Facebook that's family or personal. I pretty much only do friends and sometimes friends of friends if I trust the other folks. Yeah. I talked to Caroline Knorr over at, um, the Common Sense Media. And, uh, one of the things Common Sense Media does is it talks about, um, basically how to talk to your kids about media, how to find media experiences they can have by themselves or share with their family. And they're getting into online media and online behavior. And one of the things that she said that um, I found super useful is she's like, you really just need to model the behavior you expect from your kids. And so if you want your child to respect either your privacy or their friend's privacy, you have to start visibly displaying those behaviors now, which is one of the reasons why when we take pictures of tricks, we show her the picture and then ask her if she wants, is it okay if we put this online? Can we talk about this? Can we say that? Um, whereas when she was a baby and a toddler, we would just, you know, oh my gosh, check out what our beautiful child did and said today. But now, but now we do ask it, is this okay? Is this what you want to do? And so we're trying to model that behavior the same way that we actually are pretty vocal. Um, I usually try to take breaks from Twitter on the weekends where I just won't open the client or, or try not to interact or respond or spend much time on it. And I'm very very open about, Hey, I'm taking a break from talking to my friends on Twitter for a weekend because I want to spend more time talking to people face to face. Or when I open up Facebook now, I'm like, do you want to come and see Facebook with me? We can see pictures of our friends together and then say nice things about their pictures. And, um, in this way, you're, you know, I'm trying to model more digital citizenship for her too. So that when she gets older and she does start going into like online only spaces for kids, 
like she'll have some baseline expectation as this is how people are supposed to act. Um, that's great. So that was something, and that was something, um, and that's, yeah, and that's coming up again. You'll see that in the story soon, Susie. <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of the, um, I talked to some etiquette experts too about, you know, how do you set some boundaries or what do you do? And generally they were all like, look, when it comes to your kids, start working on the premise. Would you want it on the front page of the paper? And if you don't want it on the front page of a newspaper or on Say, national what, media, what's then a newspaper, don't. mom? <laughs> do you want it on a BuzzFeed roundup post? There you go. <laughs> and if you don't want it to send it. What if it, this was on YouTube? Exactly. exactly. So it, it's, if it's it was that, on YouTube, but, I'd make a million dollars from it and fund my college education. What are you talking about, mom? Oh, dude, I actually have really strong feelings about people who use their kids for YouTube. Bar, oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, I have really strong feelings about like issues of it's issues of consent and privacy and letting the child control their own their own presence online so i'm really looking forward to seeing the documentary in like 15 years where they go track down all these youtube kids and ask them like yeah. what they thought of it or like the kids of parental bloggers who have spent like the last 10 years writing letters about their diaper training or whatever and yeah, yeah. so and that's and that's something else to, to consider too is and, and helps i think is is we, i've had kids light enough where i can I've, i can have knee-jerk reactions to people who've already been putting their kids online for 10 years <laughs> so. well uh i think we've solved this problem so there's no yes, more problem with kids technology. well no it's interesting i, I love everyone this is our snapshot we should come back like every year or so and like revisit these issues since we have sample size of four but three you know you guys are in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm up in Seattle. We're on the coast. We have, um, you know, we're in technology circles. And so we're, in, we're a little rarefied, but we're also, you know, I don't think I'm doing anything. I'm probably more skeptical about the use of technology. Like people are like, oh, you write about tech. You're a tech guy. You must let your kids have access to computers all the time. I'm like, no, no. In fact, I don't because I want to um, make the do with it. My wife recently put this thing in where they're like, we want to do such and such, some screen time thing. And she said, okay, you need to spend 15 minutes doing something creative with your hands or minds. Like you need to make something, you need something with Legos, you need to draw something and she'll get them started on something and they'll forget about the time. And it's not that manual work is better. It's not whatever. It's just that it's that, you know, should you sit at a desk all the time? No, you should probably stand, you should walk, you whatever. It's variety helps make the mind retain yeah. its plasticity, not rigid rigidity, whatever kind of rigidity. It uses different parts of your brain, like different activities. So it's, you have to, you know, you have to exercise it all. It'd be like if you only, you know, worked out your biceps and like nothing else. Yeah. I hate it when they skip leg day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, we, yeah, we have music, um, music making stuff around the house. And again, we're, like you point out with the San Francisco Bay Area, another hazard of Bay Area parenting is you end up <clears throat> either being friends with families who don't have TVs, which we have lots of them. We're basically the bad example for everybody because we have a TV. Um, or a lot of people who have what they call open-ended play where the toys are like a collection of wooden blocks and the kids are basically go nuts. And so like, I think this is one of the reasons I'm actually like, oh, we're fine with half an hour of screen time or I'm, I'm fine with handing her my phone in the morning while I'm combing her hair or whatever is because the rest of the time it's, it's all wooden blocks and use your imagination, kid. <laughs> my mother-in-law would be so delighted. She spent her career in uh, early childhood development and then and did uh, worked for the state of Connecticut in certifying child care centers. And um, I recently, with her prodding, discovered unit blocks. Uh, celebrated their 100th anniversary by most accounts just a couple years ago and um, have a history that goes back into the early 1800s with the invention of uh, kindergarten. And you're like, I love the fact that something that was developed as a tool to uh, when childhood was created, it didn't really exist before the 1800s. Childhood was created as a state and blocks were a part of it and they remain just as powerful a tool today. So throw away your computers, get wooden blocks. I think yes, that's or use more. your computers as blocks if they're <laughs> sufficiently old enough. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like us, you have enough computers nice and that don't work, you can yeah. use them as blocks. Um, the hey, I would, think it's very Montessori. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would like to switch gears for a moment because we have uh -huh. another timely story that I'd like to get to if we can. We have just a little bit of time left, I think, uh, which is content blockers. So the, the transition here is, of course, is from talking about kids to talking about advertising. And we, advertising kids and adults are exposed to. There's my transition. Is that good enough? Uh, <laughs> And, um, Works for me. Well, so this, this is a big controversy this last week, and I, I feel like it's been covered a lot, but I, we need to weigh on it because, you know, Macworld is an advertising supported publication, among other things. And Oh, do we have to? Windows Supersite. <laughs> no, you're right. We probably do. Windows Supersite also, I expect, has some advertising involved uh, in its production. And um, I also, you know, most of what I do, I have this interesting mix between things where I am paid by people who 
or organizations that are advertising supported and then I have a whole bunch of other stuff that's sort of like affiliate related. Like I get money from uh, – do some work for Wirecutter where their money is all from people buying stuff through links. So it's advertising but it's not uh, – only when people execute on something does it happen. It's not being um, – put them in the form of a traditional ad. So, um, you know, the thing we've talked about a bit uh, for weeks was iOS 9 added the ability for third-party developers to um, create content blockers, which allow selectively blocking URLs or browser cookies or page elements that use cascading style sheets. And so iOS 9 comes out, and I was beta testing some of these for weeks, and all of a sudden there's like, you know, I think six or seven the first day, now there's a bunch of them, uh, these content blockers. But there's a controversy <laughs> that arose, which was... To put it lightly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is I thought, so, I mean, you know, you guys are in this milieu is content ad blockers have been around for quite a while on the desktop and the usage continues to increase. But, you know, with, uh, there's, there's like ethical issues and technical ones, but um, it seems like a firestorm arose because browsers just sort of let it happen. Like there's a plugin architecture, third parties make them, they do it. I felt like there was this idea, some publications feel like Apple is, uh, because they enabled a specific mechanism, that it's almost like Apple pulling a strategy against publishers to shift um, where things happen. Because these content blockers do not block ads inside of apps. And Apple has an in-app advertising program. And Apple launched the news app in iOS 9 that lets you see news in an Apple framed computer learning, you know, designed environment that uses iAds or, or, and so forth. So um, thoughts about, um, you know, is Apple enabling something or is, I mean, you know, there's different ways to approach like a company giving you hooks versus saying, yes, block content. Well, I think Apple, I mean, Apple likes to look out for its customers and it wants its customers to have the best experience. And I think, you know, being able to block different trackers and things in iOS and mobile Safari um, is a good experience for customers. Like everybody likes it. The pages load faster. They're easier to read. You don't have pop ups like all that, you know, annoying stuff. So it is good. But then, you know, at the same time, they also put out a news app. They put it on everyone's phone. It's part of iOS 9. You can actually turn it off in the parental restrictions section in the settings. But uh you know, assuming that most people won't do that because, you know, it's on by default and we all just kind of go with the defaults. Mm -hmm. That's there. And yeah, Apple is giving publishers a tool to say like, oh, you're worried about losing revenue from, you know, the ads on your website. Why don't you start putting your content in our news app and then you can put your own ads next to it. We can sell the ads for you and take 30 percent. So, yeah, I mean, the timing is definitely, yeah, I think it can be a little of both. I can think it can be Apple looking out for their customers and also looking out for them. I don't think mobile advertising is a big revenue stream for Apple yet. Maybe yeah. they're hoping that it will be. Um, but, you know, it's a big revenue stream for Google. It's a big revenue stream for Facebook. Facebook's doing the same thing. They want publishers to publish stories like right to Facebook and you know they'll they'll look better they'll they'll be faster for facebook users that you know they don't have to leave facebook they can just do all their reading right there so it's definitely interesting that the these these companies are are, are maybe going after like you know some of the the mobile ad revenue that that google's been enjoying um you know, I, I just kind of make the donuts, so I have to just keep, <laughs> keep making the donuts and hoping that you know, enough people pay us that we can keep making those tasty word donuts. Going, it, it seems like they're going after eyeballs, though, because you take a, um, if you look at increasing numbers of surveys and tracks and trends and so on and so forth, more and more people are reading their email and um, checking content either through apps or on their devices. Um, and you know, I mean, this is actually one of the reasons that podcasts exploded is because they're they're mobile. You can throw you can throw it on your phone, listen to it on your commute, um, and even in the places I've worked, we've always seen spikes in both traffic and email um, around commute times on mobile devices. So this, to me, this whole ad blocking thing is is saying, look, we recognize that you're spending more time on the mobile phone. We would like to make that experience more pleasant for you. And if we happen to monetize it, define it, own it, and turn it into our ecosystem, hey, more so the better. Um, I doubt anybody here was like, I'm going to stick it to the publishing industry because to be fair, the publishing industry is sticking it to themselves pretty effectively. Uh, <laughs> we don't need help. No. But, you know, it's it's right now the battle is for the mobile eyeball. And um, 
I'm picturing a giant eyeball floating in the sky as you say that. It's It's the mobile eyeball. It's detached. It's weird. It's it's like a 1970s sci-fi cover. Um, (laughs) But the battle is is for becoming the default mobile experience. And then presumably once you have the audience, you can run around to places and say, give us your money because we we, we control access to, to the people you want to see your message. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I think there's an issue of who controls the platform. Like the mm-hmm. the idea is, you know, do the pub are the publishers a platform? When you go to a website, is that the publisher platform? And by disabling elements on the page for whatever reason, whether you don't want to see ads or you don't, you are concerned about privacy issues, or the page loads badly because we've seen plenty in this last week. There's been plenty of funny incidents where sites running articles decrying ad blocking are unusable because the, without using ad blocking, because the popover menus can't be dismissed. There are tiny X targets that they're trying to get you to hit that if you miss you load an ad all that well but but i <laughs> feel like that's um uh if the publishing if the site is a platform they're saying you're damaging the integrity of our site whatever your intent visitor is and apple's abetting it sort of like you know this came up um the replay tv lawsuit uh about time shifting and space shifting back in the early 2000s where a bunch of uh uh, content producers, you know, TV networks and and so forth, sued uh, whatever the parent company was. Was it called Replay at the time? And I was in a lawsuit. I've mentioned before the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They found model plaintiffs, in which I was one, who had Replay TVs, and we sued to be joined to the suit so that we could preserve a right to skip ads and to view things when we wanted to and so forth, because um, they were trying to block. Devices that had substantial non-infringing uses, as they say, things that could be used for a purpose that wasn't intended to violate copyright. In the end, the suit got settled before we were able to establish any kind of uh, uh, basis. And then now you have, of course, you know, DVRs. You skip commercials if you want to. You have things like Hulu where they have unskippable commercials. I was watching something the other day. I watched 10 minutes of a program and I had 170 seconds of ads I had to watch to proceed. And, um, you know, that's one approach is you prevent people from accessing content without putting them through a hoop that is unblockable and unskippable. Um, but if so, if the, but I think the other, the flip side is most consumers feel like their device is their own. Their bandwidth is something they pay for. I'm, I'm paying for this. I should have a right to see whatever kind of experience I want. But um, the thing that came out, I think the controversy was interesting is uh, Marco Arment, who, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with in the past. He came out with a piece, which was a content blocker. It shipped. It went uh, quickly to number one in the paid apps of like all paid apps on the app store. And then uh, within a day or so he pulled it. And now Apple has agreed to, uh, they decided to give refunds. He was asking people to apply for refunds if they wanted them. And then Apple has decided to refund everyone's money who bought it somewhere in the, you know, it could be hundred thousand dollar range or something, maybe more, uh, we don't have the exact number. And um, his problem was that he used uh, ghostery, which I recommend as a way to see what's going on. And I do some selective blocking with ghostery on the desktop. He used their database, but the way he'd implemented it, was there's no sort of good ads and bad ads, so you could either turn it on or off, and this included um, the very non-intrusive, non-tracky ads from the deck, which are used on a lot of uh, design-oriented sites, including Marco's and Daring Fireball. And the minute you're blocking ads that are probably of the kind that everyone could agree are uh, on the very, very far end of the of the spectrum of being the the least privacy invading of all, then you have uh, you know then you have a problem. And so I think Marco, uh, he pulled it because he felt like he'd given people an all or nothing solution that was like a nuclear bomb and he he would look like uh, more subtlety. And some of the ones I tested have, a, have tracking and ads as separate categories. They've split things into the difference between delivering an ad and doing, you know, demographic or other behavioral tracking and networks sometimes combine those functions. But so I have some where I can flip ads, you know, block ads, but or block tracking, but don't block ads. And then I see ads. I just don't get all the uh, 100 JavaScript fragments on my uh, laptop or my uh, mobile either. Yeah, I didn't download Marco's app. I downloaded a couple others. So yeah, it's still unclear. Like he thinks that people will be able to keep it and still use it. Um, Yeah, the... The the forced refund thing is is a little strange. It's no one rare knows how that's working. Yeah, Apple's never done that except for I think a fraudulent app before. Um, when I canceled the magazine, uh, when realized that you know subscriptions continued to decline, and I shut it down. That was an app he had designed, and then I shifted to a new platform. I went to Apple and said, I cannot find a single bit of documentation about prorated refunds for subscriptions. Is this something we can do? And they had an internal discussion and said, yeah, absolutely. And they made it happen. And it wasn't fast and it involved some complexity on my part to get money back to them. 
<clears throat> excuse me, that had already been paid out. Um, but they were very obliging. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, this is, uh, this is a full disclosure, right? You know, they don't, uh, because I'm right about Apple, it's confusing to deal with them when I'm a vendor to Apple sort of, um, and this position we may all be in with Apple news that the news app is something where publications and even individual writers with blogs suddenly are feeding content into a system and Apple is paying advertising revenue out directly if they're not doing pass through. Um, ads, which they can also do. Uh, but so Apple didn't, I, you know, I didn't pull rank as press. I didn't say anything about that. And I don't even know if they knew the group I was dealing with even knows I'm a reporter. Uh, but they helped me out. And I've been told that other publications like Murdoch's The Daily, when it canceled, uh, they did pro rata for them. Um, so there's some pattern for subscriptions, especially with periodicals. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll see more shakeout. I'm looking forward to more categories of content blockers because uh, Google, for instance, has this safe browsing list that it maintains for anti-malware, anti-phishing. And the way it's built now, for privacy reasons, they don't expose the entire list to third parties. You can query it or download an encrypted version to test against. But Google could release an iOS malware content blocking extension using its own database and be this big plus. But will they? I don't know. It wouldn't have to block any ads at all. But we will see. Um, I think we've reached the end of our allotted time, which is a random number chosen in advance, which is a random <laughs> number. And, uh, we'll look forward to hearing more from readers and listeners. You can email us at podcast at macworld.com. You can find us at macworld.com. And if you look for the show notes, uh, you'll find all links to, uh, many, many things we talked about, including to Lisa's So What Who Cares newsletter, which you should all subscribe to because it's a great way to, uh, A, start the day and B, see a whole selection of interesting animated GIFs that relate to the topics at hand. <laughs> often, often Futurama related. Yes. <clears throat> which I well, I feel like I'm reporting from the future, so why not? <laughs> That's good. Dancing, dancing robots. Uh, so uh, thanks to Lisa Schmeiser, editor-in-chief of Windows Supersite and the writer of the Generations column at Macworld. Thanks, Lisa, for joining us. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. And Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld. We will talk again in two weeks. You'll be gone on assignment to the Jersey Shore. Uh, <laughs> bring back reports yep. of Snooky, and uh, she's still there. Uh, I will. Have a great vacation. Thank you. And uh, I have been and remain, I, I believe, Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor to Macworld. And this has been episode 475 of the Macworld podcast for September 23rd, 2015. Thanks to Red Hat for being our sponsor this week. And we will be back again to talk iPhone and more next week. Thanks for listening.